This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, ever since I was really a little kid, I've always been interested in ancient Rome. So I don't know where the interest came from, but I think I remember being a little kid and there were like documentaries on television and just getting to hear about all these ancient Romans. It was just like a really cool environment. It seemed like it's like if you could go back in time, maybe you'd want to go to that area. Uh, I think the very first R-rated movie I ever saw was Gladiator. I think that came out when I was like just getting out of elementary school or maybe early in junior high or something like that. And so that was like a really cool movie. And so it took place in Rome and it was this really awesome thing. And uh, the thing about ancient Rome is there's always the normal characters that we always hear about, right? So you've got Julius Caesar, you've got uh, Caesar Augustus, Cicero, Mark Antony, Plutarch, Trajan, Nero, Constantine, like there's just all kinds of different people that we hear about all the time. So there's been shows made about these people. There's been plays made about these people. And so we just know a whole lot about all these different people. Um, But today I want to talk about the story of somebody that you may or may not have heard of. And that is Lucius Cincinnatus. Okay, so if that name sounds familiar and if you've been following this podcast, obviously in the very last episode, episode seven, I did a review of the book, The Book of Man. And in there I mentioned in one of the sections, it was the man in the polis. I mentioned where they talked about Cincinnatus. And so but the thing about it is, is if you talk to most individuals, especially people that just kind of casually follow history, this isn't a story that normally comes up. Okay, Uh, again, we hear about all those people that I mentioned earlier and a lot more, but the story of Cincinnatus. I mean, that's just not something that people normally think of, and that's not really something that they're normally familiar with. And so I know that until I read the book of man, I I didn't really hear of this story before. Like I may have heard pieces of it, but I never heard the entire story. And then I did a little bit more research and dug down a little bit further. And the story of this guy's life was just incredible. And so uh, one thing before I get into the story of Cincinnatus is there are some varying beliefs about the historicity of this story. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of people that kind of think that maybe some of this is, is a little bit legendary. Some of it has maybe been made up at different points, but just for our sake today, I want to describe basically the most accepted version of the story of his life of Cincinnati and some of the different parts that we would all be familiar with and things that we could get something from. And so what I decided to do for today's podcast sake is just basically go off the writings of the Roman historian Titus Livius, who uh, basically is being called Livy. Most places, uh, when you see his references, he's just being called Livy. So we're going to go right into the story of Cincinnati and we're going to do it based off of a lot of that research. So here we go. Cincinnatus was born in 519 BC, and so he was born into a decently well-off family. They weren't super aristocratic, but they were decently well-off. And just to give everybody like an idea of the time period I'm talking about, because you can just throw out these dates and no one can really know exactly what you're talking about. He was born about 400 years before Julius Caesar. So really before the height of the Roman Empire and a lot of things that we're familiar with, this was about 400 years prior to that. So let's hop back in. So uh, he was a Roman patrician, which uh, that word just basically means like an aristocrat or a nobleman or something like that. And he also served as consul. And so some of you may have heard that term and maybe don't remember what that means, but a consul is basically somebody that was appointed by your government to go and represent your country's interests in another country. So uh, think of it like a, a modern day ambassador or something like that. It wasn't exactly the same, but it was a very highly regarded position. Okay. Um, now, later in Cincinnatus's life, again, he had had this uh, great life in the polis and he had been serving and doing his civic duty, but he kind of fell on some hard times and he actually retired completely from public life. And so when he retired from public life, he just began farming on a small plot of land that he had near the Tiber River. So, and when I say small, we're talking like, 
three or four acres small. So this wasn't like some sort of expansive farming community. So so that really was where the story of Cincinnati could have ended. But then we get to go to about 458 BC, and then we see him pop back onto the pages of history. So uh, at this point, the Roman Republic is pretty young. Again, 458 BC, very, very young Republic, okay? And so it wasn't this massive Leviathan that we think of when we think during, you know, Caesar Augustus's time or, or that type of a thing. And so they were still... Um, there was still the potential of attacks from from smaller villages or smaller tribes, and so during this time and in this year, the Equi, uh, that was a small but very very dangerous tribe that was located just east of Rome, and so uh, the Equi in this year they had violated a treaty that they had just signed just a year prior with Rome, um, and they were trying to retake an area that they wanted back, which was in Tusculum. Okay, and so the Roman army at this time was under the leadership of two separate consuls. Okay. And those were Augurinus, I think is how you say it, and Rutilus. Okay, so Augurinus and Rutilus. And so in response to this invasion by the Equi, they sent one army to defend Tusculum and one to attack Equi territories and their allies. Okay, so they kind of took Augurinus and Rutilus and took them, uh, really sent them in separate directions to go take care of what was going on in the area. So Augurinus's army, uh, they were sent to attack near Mount Algidus, and that was in the Alban Hills. And but the problem was is he didn't send his army in to attack immediately. So the historical records that we have show that they got to the area near Mount Algidus, and then they basically just sat there. Like, they didn't immediately attack. And so, what this allowed the Equi to do was to surround the position of uh, Agurinus' army and to overtake them, essentially. It was really a rout. And the other consul, Rutilus, uh, he was unable to use his army to help Agurinus' at the time. It just wasn't something that they could do because it was such a quick battle and such a short route. And so, apparently from that battle that was near Mount Algidus, there were only five horsemen that were able to escape from the Equi there. So, everybody else was obliterated. And so these horsemen, as we're told, um, they rode all the way back to Rome and they basically went in to tell the Roman Senate what had happened at Mount Algidus. And so basically the, the Senate panicked. Again, this is not the Senate that we normally think of when we think of the Roman Senate. But but they just straight up panic because they needed an immediate solution because the Equi could have just kept on marching all the way to Rome and could have sacked Rome. OK, they, they needed leadership at this time and they needed somebody that could be trusted. And so during this time in Roman history, uh, or in times of, of crisis or emergency, the Roman Senate uh, could actually name a dictator. It was someone that they called the Magister Populi, uh, and they could basically put this person in an environment where they could serve as dictator for six months. So this wasn't a super long-term thing, but again, in times of extreme crisis or emergency, they could bring someone in to serve for a six-month term. So the Senate, again, kind of in a state of panic and trying to figure out what to do, they needed to go to somebody that could really rely on. And so the Senate actually decided to name Cincinnatus, the dictator of Rome, and to have him lead the armies of Rome against her enemies, uh, especially right now being the Equi. But, I mean, the big problem here is Cincinnatus was not a public figure anymore. Like, no one really knew if he was up to the task. And, and to be honest, at this point in history, Cincinnatus is almost 60 years old. 
which, you know, in modern day terms, it doesn't seem like it's that old, but especially back then, I mean, you were not expected to live very long, um, and especially living into your 60s. And, you know, a 60-year-old then compared to what a 60-year-old now, it's not terribly comparable. So um, basically what Rome decided to do is they sent a delegation to Cincinnatus's land uh, that he was farming by the Tiber River. And as the story goes, he was apparently literally plowing his field when the delegation arrived. So he wasn't like sitting on the porch and whittling or anything like that. He was literally plowing his field whenever they arrived. So here I want to read a quote uh, from the historian Livy about kind of what happened at this, this very moment. So here we go. Here's the quote. After mutual salutations, he was requested to put on his toga that he might hear the mandate of the Senate, and they expressed the hope that it might turn out well for him and for the state. He asked then, in surprise, if all was well, and bade his wife, Rosilia, bring him his toga quickly from the cottage. Okay, So this may seem like a a little bit of a strange quote here, but um, his wife did go and fetch him his robe and brought it to him, and at this point now, he was officially able to hear what the delegation had to say. It was more of a, a Roman custom at the time. You know, he was obviously in clothes that would have been appropriate for plowing a field or for farming or working outside. But this was basically, uh, you know, something that it was a uh, business of the state, I guess, would the, be the best way to describe it. So it was business of the state. So he needed to get his toga. So basically, the delegation from Rome told him about the immediate danger that Rome was facing and that the Senate had unanimously voted to make him dictator so that he could basically hop in there and help them fix the problem. So you would think that, you know, he'd jump all over that opportunity, right? I mean, for the, just think about the modern day Senate coming to you and asking you to help solve such a, such a huge problem that they unanimously voted for you to be the person to solve the problem. I mean, this was just an incredible opportunity, especially back in Roman times, but he didn't just immediately jump. Like, he really didn't just immediately jump at this. He was hesitant. You know, he had thoughts of kind of, I think he even asked them, like, you know, why me? You know, why now? Like, why would... Why would I be the most valuable person at this point? And so the, the thing is, is even with apprehension and kind of some hesitation, he accepted the appointment uh, because he knew that he could assist his country well. He knew that he was uniquely suited to assist the country at this time in their history. So uh, he went with the delegation back to Rome and immediately when he arrived, uh, he pretty much shut down the entire city of Rome. He had all the shops and all the markets. He pretty much shut everything down. And from the moment he arrived, he ordered that every military-aged male report to the field of Mars. That's kind of where they, you know, would come and gather. And there's a lot of uh, importance to the Roman people about the field of Mars. And they all had to arrive there before the end of the day, and each had to show up with about five days' worth of rations. So again, these were people that you know earlier that day they were a shopkeeper, or maybe they were just chilling at their house or something like that. But by the end of the day, they're on the field of Mars, getting ready to go to battle. And so the army left out almost immediately from the field of Mars after they got everybody together and got everything situated, and they marched to Mount Algidus and they went in to relieve the failed armies of uh, Agurinus and Rutilus. Okay, so the Battle of Mount Algidus, which is you know what it's called, and so if you look back in history, that's an easy way to find it is just by searching Battle of Mount. Algidus, that's A-L-G-I-D-U-S, the battle 
ended almost immediately after it started. Cincinnatus's forces just smoked the Equi. And and the thing is is they could have absolutely obliterated the Equi here, but they showed some mercy on them uh and Cincinnatus kind of reached what they would term probably a limited peace with the Equi and those people. He kind of, you know, had them embarrass uh some of their generals and things like that and basically uh give up um what they were trying to do in that land. And so here's here's the amazing thing about this story is that only 15 days passed from the time that the Roman delegation came to Cincinnatus in his field to the time that the Cincinnatus-led army crushed the Equi. Like, it was only 15 days. Like, this was not a, a very long thing. They didn't have this large planning process. They they got him. They brought him back to Rome. They got all the, the military-age men together, and then they sent him on and took care of business, Okay. But now here it is, you've crushed the equi, and now you're Cincinnatus, and and you've got to be asking yourself, what now? Like, what do I do now? Because he's still dictator for at least the next five and a half months, right? It's only been 15 days since he's been dictator. He's, he's going to be the dictator for at least five and a half more months. Like, how could he use his power? Like, you know, what things could he have helped to do to decide, you know, to point the young republic in a certain direction? I mean, do you go and conquer some more nations? I mean, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. Maybe go conquer some nations. Um, you know, he could have chosen even to build up his family, potentially for like some further aristocratic or political purposes. And even just he could build up his personal grandeur. I mean, that was something that was so sought after because of the the Roman ethos of civic duty and success and military might and those types of things. He could have done any one of those things. And in reality, he ended up doing none of those things. None of them. So basically, after the defeat of the Equi, Cincinnatus disbanded the army almost immediately. He sent the military-aged males back to their families and to their normal professions, and he resigned his position as dictator. And then he returned to his farm. Like, that's literally what this guy did. He resigns, and then he returned home. Like, he gained everything. Like, in a very short period of time, in about two weeks, he gained everything that you could want, especially for a Roman at that time. He had military success. Uh, He had the overall adoration of the public. He had the, the respect of the Roman Senate and the height of personal power. I mean, he became dictator, and he just gave it all away. That's it. Just an incredible, incredible story. And and if the story ends there, it's still an incredible story. But now we need to fast forward about another 20 years to 439 BC. Okay. So at this point, Cincinnati is 80 years old, 80 years old. Like people at this time just did not live that long. So that by itself is pretty incredible. He had taken care of himself. He's 80 years old. And once again, At the age of 80, the Senate voted for Cincinnatus to become a dictator and to serve Rome in a time of crisis. Uh, And once again, Cincinnatus was reluctant to do so, but he essentially agreed to do that. Okay, during this time, there was a famine in Rome. Okay, so the consul that was put in charge of the Roman grain supply at this time apparently did a really piss poor job of doing that. And it became a huge, huge issue for most of the citizenry of Rome. Okay. And what this allowed is it allowed a little gap in the power structure where this very wealthy plebeian, which, you know, plebeian basically means, a you know, a, a commoner, like a Roman commoner, uh, and his name was Spurius Malius. It allowed him to try to kind of hop in and steal the affections of the Roman people. Okay, so Malius bought up 
a ton of the grain supply. And so he bought it up before and during the famine. And what he did is he sold the grain for below market value to a lot of the poor folks. And he even gave some away basically to try to influence them and to try to get them all to like him, I I guess would be the best way to look at it. And he wanted to set himself up as king or emperor over Rome. Like that's what he wanted to do. So he's this very wealthy guy, very influential guy, and he's trying to heighten his influence. So uh, the Senate decided to bring Cincinnatus in to kind of quell this whole thing, okay? So Cincinnatus ordered his master of the horse, which is what they basically called their first lieutenant. It's like, you know, the, the second in command to go and do your dirty work type of thing. Uh, he ordered this guy to bring Malleus to him. Now, whenever the master of the horse went to Malleus, he refused to come with him, okay? And so when he refused, um, Cincinnatus ordered Malleus to be killed, and that order was carried out, okay? So uh, the crisis, the potential crisis of an individual trying to usurp the Republic was thwarted at this time. Like, it did not go through. It could have very easily happened, but it did not happen. Now, here's the other thing that happened. You know, Cincinnatus, he just he kind of gets in and he gets after it, right? From the time that he was summoned at his farm, again, to the time of Malleus' death, it was only 21 days. So it took Cincinnatus 21 days to pretty much crush what could have been, you know, a, a rebellion of sorts that could have ended up crushing the Roman Republic before it ever became the Roman Empire that we know today. And so here we are again. Cincinnatus is fresh off of another successful dictatorship, right? Uh, he He's picked up uh, a bunch of great things and a lot of adoration, and now he's got his pick of essentially just a bunch of really, really good options, right? So what does he do? He can do essentially whatever he wants. He's He's got almost five more months of, of a di- dictatorship that he can serve in again, right? And he does pretty much what you'd expect at this point in the story. He resigned as dictator and went back to his farm. Just like he had done about 20 years earlier, he resigns as soon as he's done and goes right back to the farm, okay? I mean, this is a crazy story because twice he is given supreme power and control. Like, he, he didn't go and take it. Like, they voted for him to be this guy. And twice he resigned the moment the job was done. Like, he didn't just stick around for no reason. He, he stuck around not even a minute longer than he needed to, Okay. And because of this, he really became a legend to the Roman people because he really embodied like in word and in deed, the ethos of civic duty and virtue and manhood and and things like that that are all core tenets to Romans. I mean, even today, and even as you look back on the Roman people, that is something that just carried for hundreds of hundreds of years that the Roman Empire was in power. So his legacy, even if you look to where we are now, all over Italy, there are streets and plazas in different areas throughout Italy that are named after him uh, through kind of a, a long string. You know, Cincinnati, Ohio was named after this guy. Um, and one cool thing is that George Washington, our first president, has even been called the American Cincinnatus. And of course, if you know the story of George Washington well, uh, you'll know that after the Revolutionary War ended, uh, he refused to become uh, any type of a monarch or king for America. Like, he would not do that. Like, as soon as the war was over, he relinquished control of the Continental Army, and he served as a president over a republic, right? over an entire republic and then after two terms as president he voluntarily retired and the cool thing about his story and where a lot of people see him as uh, a kind of a conduit through to someone like Cincinnatus is he returned home to his farm at Mount Vernon as soon as he was done 
like as soon as his service was done and he decided that he wanted to kind of, I guess, ride off in the sunset, if you will, he went back to his farm and started tending to his land. Okay. So that is really the story of Cincinnati. And I think it's just such a fantastic story. And it's one that I wish was told more often. I mean, if you were to name the top 10 people from ancient Rome and, and their stories and how they've, you know, capture the attention and the imagination of modern day people. Cincinnati probably isn't in the top 10, but I think he's, he's such a good example for modern day men and modern day Christians, especially. And so as I was thinking through his story, I was thinking, you know, basically what can modern Christian men learn from the story of Cincinnati or really the life of Cincinnati? And so basically two things really came to mind. And so I'm going to describe those two to you right now. The first thing is when asked, step up when asked step up okay so Cincinnati was asked to serve and he did now he wasn't forced to serve like he could have said no it would have been kind of awkward at that time to do that but he was asked to serve and he stepped up and did it right and I just think of all these modern men and these modern examples where men are asked to serve sometimes in small roles sometimes in big roles but essentially instead of just serving they just make excuses Right. I mean, they just avoid responsibility. So this can be asking to serve while you're in school, serving in your modern day church. Really, some for some people, it's even just serving in your family. And most guys just want to go away from responsibility as much as they can. You know, and even just look back on on Jesus's life in the New Testament uh, when he asked his apostles to follow him. Right. You know, we talked about that uh, on one of the earlier podcasts about, you know, he never asked men to be in a relationship with him. He said, follow me. And they did. I mean, there there wasn't this myriad of excuses. Uh, you know, some of them didn't go like automatically just drop all their stuff and just go go right at that exact moment. But that's eventually what they did. And so, you know, when you're asked to do something as a modern day man, and it's something that you're capable of doing and that you're uniquely suited to do it, step up and do it. I mean, everyone now nowadays, especially in this TEDx culture that we're, you know, TED Talk culture that we all live in now, everyone just wants to talk about, oh, you know, the power of no and make sure that you can say no to the good things so you can say yes to the great things. And there is wisdom in that. I'm not hating on that entirely. But sometimes the world needs you guys. Like sometimes they just need you. And the world may not be this grandiose thing that you're thinking. Maybe the world is just your modern day local church, right? They need your help. They need your assistance. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe you've got an elderly person that lives in your neighborhood and you're the person that can help them. So when asked, step up. Okay. And the second thing that comes to mind that I think is, is valuable for modern Christian men to learn from Cincinnati is when finished, step down. Okay. So the first thing is when asked, step up. Second, when finished, step down. Okay. So if you're keeping score, math leads out there, Cincinnati served a grand total of 36 days as dictator. So, so over like a, a, you know, a 20 year period, he served for 15 days and then he served for 21 days, it's 36 days as a dictator. So as soon as the job was done, he was done and he went on and he went back to what he needed to be doing. Okay. So for most guys, we get to this tendency where we want to chill, right? Uh, we, we get to a certain level of mastery at our job or a mastery at our involvement within the church or a nonprofit that we're working with. And then we, we just love getting comfortable. And then we just sit there. There's not really much else for us to do. And maybe there's someone else that could come in and do our job or our role better or push the organization into an even better place. But we just kind of sit there. I, and my advice to you all is 
don't linger for your own sake, right? Don't linger. That doesn't mean go out and quit your job today because, you know, you hit your quota for this quarter or something like that. That's not at all what I'm saying. But you know exactly what I'm talking about when guys just stay somewhere doing something in a role where they basically have done the majority of what they're able to do, right? Just don't linger. Because here's the thing is when you're done, you can go back and tend your field, right? Because that's exactly what Cincinnatus did. That's exactly what George Washington did. They served to the extent to which they felt that they could serve, and then they went back and tended to their own field. And for a lot of you guys, again, you know, I'm not talking to a lot of farmers here on this podcast. Your field is your family, right? And you are part of your family. So you need to work on yourself. You need to work on your wife. You need to work on your kids. That is your field, Okay. So when you're finished with something, when you've helped an organization, when you've helped a ministry, when you've helped something in the church, it's okay for you to step down and go back into your field. Okay, guys? So again, when asked, step up, and when finished, step down. Okay? And guys, we're going to go ahead and move right into the quick resilience boost here. As most of you know, by this point, we are a men's ministry uh, running, and we run out of Oklahoma City, and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. And so specifically, we do that by providing content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So today, we're going to stick with the same thing we did last week, which is we're going to talk a little bit about mental resilience. And in order for us to have some mental resilience, I'm going to challenge you all over the next week or so to watch the movie Gladiator. Okay, so I know most of you listening to this have have watched this movie before. I mentioned it at the very beginning of the podcast. It is still my favorite movie of all time. However, I want you to watch it with a different lens. Okay, because you've watched it before because, you know, it, it made you feel like a man. You've watched it before because it was inspiring. You've watched it with the lens of entertainment. I want you to watch this and I want you to look for parallels to the life and attitude of Cincinnatus in Maximus. Okay. Maximus is obviously the main character in that movie, but just think about the life of Maximus and the things that he did and how that movie ended. And I I guess I don't want to spoil it for any of you out there who have not seen it, which what are you doing if you haven't seen that movie up to this point, but yeah, go out and see it, but just look for the parallels between those two lives. I think it'll be a very interesting watch for you. So, all right, guys, thanks again for listening into this podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play, and refer your friends to listen to us if you're enjoying this, and share that on social media. If we deserve a five-star review, guys, that is one of the biggest ways that we're going to continue to do this podcast, is if more people tune in, check it out, and listen and share it around, okay? Our website is www.undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Undaunted Life and Facebook.com backslash Undaunted Life. Check out our free devotionals on the Uversion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we really want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music library for our content. The intro outro track on this podcast is their song King of Sorrow, which is off their latest record entitled Phantom Anthem. The links to all of that are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, Keep cultivating manly resilience. Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.